0: I'm Eric. I'm Lucas, and, and we are the modern, modern agronomist.
1: We are putting a modern spin on an old industry.
0: All right, welcome back. Today we have Scott Lee from Rosens. Uh, today we are going to have Scott here to pick his brain on some high management wheat. and all right, Scott, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Rosens in general.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, Scott Lee. I work as a nutrition account manager for Rosen, so that entails kind of plant effectiveness and efficiency, whether we're using fertilizer products, uh, foliar and dry, um, biologicals, microbials, um, hormone-based, as well as kind of, I'm an agronomist in this role, so kind of help put things together. We're working with chemistry and tank mix partners, um, whether your fertility nutrient plans and overall scope and Rosen's as a whole is an ag distributor, and we have uh, teammates here that help service country visions as far as uh, helping with purchasing and supplying ag uh, manufactured products, post-patent products, adjuvants, seed treatments, as well as the nutritional things. So um, Rosen's covers a big geography, and uh, we kind of partner with dealers. We don't sell to Growers Directs. We partner with dealers to share agronomic solutions and help build foundations and systems that work that show a good positive return on investment for the grower. So that's the products that we kind of private label and carry on. And and my role as a nutrition account manager kind of supports that, working with guys like you guys to kind of deliver that message of let's do what's right and let's do it in a way that's profitable. Um, A little background about myself is I've been working for Rosen's about three years in this position. Prior to that, I spent 22 years in retail, like Country Vision co-op setting, doing agronomy management, um, sales application seed treatment, and uh, a little bit of everything that way. So you kind of get your feet wet pretty soon in retail. (laughs) And on the side, I do farm um, some small acreage, corn, uh, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa, raise a small beef herd, just enough to give my kids something to show each year at the fair and have a little fun doing it.
1: So, Scott, let's jump into to your wheat. We kind of want to talk about the process that you go through in managing your wheat kind of from start to finish, and we'll kind of block it out as we go. But let's let's start with planting and, and your practice of, of getting wheat in the ground and some of the things you do.
2: Yeah, I, I, I get pretty passionate about my wheat. I mean, even though I live in northern Illinois right there along the Wisconsin-Illinois uh, border, but I get pretty passionate about it because it's a – It's a great crop that's good in rotation, um, generates revenue different time of year, and uh, it supports our no-till practice on our farm. So it helps break up our nutrient cycles and residue management acts a little different that way. But for me, for for wheat, I mean, you know, being no-till, it's a good way for us to uh, also incorporate rotational grazing for the cows. So it's somewhere I can put cows on, spread my feed cost out, and do some things different when we're intense grazing on pasture. So for me, weed is, um, I look at, when I come to seeding wheat, I, I believe in seeding heavy. I mean, with no tilling, obviously, like other crops, there's a percentage, you know, you want to have an increase to help with the uh, depth control and things. But I'm a big fan of seeding high rates. Um, part of that is I want to spread out them seeds for tillering. So in our practice, we use a John Deere drill, seven and a half inch centers, And what we try to shoot for is somewhere around 1.8 million seeds per acre. So I I talk a lot about seeds per acre. Um, I think a lot of people in the old days used to say, oh, I threw a couple bags out there or two and a half bags, but really seed size varies in wheat. Could be 11,000, could be 14,000. So I believe in trying to shoot for 1.8. And what I try to do to increase tillering is I actually double drill the wheat. So I might set the you know, and a, a drill is just a estimated guess at setting those things. So I tried to set the drill for a million seeds in my first pass, cover the field at maybe like a two o'clock position, and then after that, kind of do the math, recheck it, adjust the drill up or down a little bit, and then I go back at like twelve o'clock position. Um, that way I've kind of cross seeded it, and then normally I seed my wheat pretty deep. I mean, I'll start about an inch and a half. Um. And then what I do is after that first pass, then I raise it up about a quarter inch because usually by then, you know, you've kind of ran over the field once, it's kind of leveled it off, then you go over it twice again, you've kind of firmed it back up and your ride is so much nicer.
0: So to put that in perspective, I guess most growers around here, I would say are probably in that 1.4 to 1.5 million seeds per acre range. So, I mean, that is a considerable more amount of seed that you are putting out there, but obviously you've been playing around with it and having some good luck.
2: Yeah we've been growing wheat for about 25 years on this farm that uh, that I rent and I work with on a partnership Um, so we've got a lot of history on this farm and it's it's not your typical Illinois dirt it is rolly ground that's uh, two three percent organic matter cc's range from nine to twenty and it's uh, limestone knolls with some silty sand clay mixes so it's a little bit of uh what I call working door you gotta what you put into it it's gonna have to work to get it back out of it so management is key and uh you know I've always strived for high yields I mean probably our uh, API on the farm is is pushing 104 now so over those 20 years so we've got a high API when I my county average is like 72 so we're really pushing out the yield and we've we've had yields as good as 137 on the high end and um we don't fall much before our insurance guarantee, which is 94 bushel.
0: How are you so, making your decision on the seed aspect of it? Are you looking at state trials, local trials? Um, do you look for a long maturity, short maturity, or how do you kind of look at that?
2: I try to look at wheat that I, I, I can physically see. I guess being in retail for a lot of years, I've as I selling seed, I've had an idea to look at what we offered in-house as well as other people. I do like looking at state trials, more or less to look at visual hybrid um, what kind of head structure they have height differences and how do they react to management um, a lot of the wheat I choose is ones that we can highly manage and I think that applies in you know corn beans alfalfa there's just some um, hybrids and varieties that you can throw high management to and they respond better than others and that's how I look at to trigger what varieties and I don't you know we I don't think there's a lot of new varieties that come out every year so you kind of can really get a good feel with one that works and manages and usually after a year or two you kind of know okay I've done this program for two or three years for this wheat we're, we're getting what we want out of it or if we don't maybe it's not one that triggers it um the other parts of the wheat that we're planting is a lot of it goes to straw at the end of the year too we have a very large market with some dairy farmers and some hay jockeys to sell quite a bit of straw so that's a good uh, revenue generator on top of the high-yield wheat to go with it. So I try to find a balance between one that's tall enough to help generate the extra tonnage in straw, but yet not sacrifice the main purpose, which is grain.
1: So what you've got your wheat planted, let's say, or let me back up. Let's back up. So in your rotation, your wheat's always following soybeans?
2: Yep. In my rotation, we pretty much always follow soybeans. It's not very often that we've done corn- um, we used to years ago, but we just found that even throwing the extra fertility at it and managing disease, we didn't get the best return on investment on that acre. So in our rotation, is pretty much we go uh, soybeans followed by wheat, then we no-till corn in that. Um, some farms we do then no-till a second-year corn and then go back to beans and wheat. Otherwise, it's just a three rotation to go from soybeans, wheat, and corn.
1: So your beans get harvested are you doing anything special with your with your residue on the field so that you can you know better planting conditions
2: no usually with now with the technology and all these combines and and you know if your fields are clean and and weed pressure's good where we don't have to do maybe a pre weed situation um these combines do a great job of showing out these pods and just shredding them up we, we have done some things with some stock residue products and if we've made a chemistry pass or maybe a foliar um, suspension fertilizer pass but I haven't really seen a big bang for the buck that time of year with some of them products I do incorporate a lot of that in the back side before we go to corn on the next year um, really help break down the residue to get that fertility back and in, in the mix for corn but not on the front side mainly in the fall we go out there and put on our, our fertilizer um put on a you know dap and or mes product depending on what's available uh, to get our a uh, little bit of n and p out there started and then a lot of potassium our soils are kind of typically known to be deficient with potassium try to try to add a little extra into that every year especially since the straw removal we're taking away before going to corn mm-hmm. timing
0: of this is i mean what what maturity of beans are you growing down there?
2: So majority of the beans, you know, in northern Illinois go from two oh to three oh. Most time I'm looking at probably a two oh to two four bean. So that way we can harvest them fairly early. So into September, first of October, we're getting them things cut. We can get weed in a little sooner. I think that's pretty typical in our area. Now some years where we can cut beans the fifteenth of September, then we can get that weed in a little earlier. So do you notice
0: earlier planted wheat? in the end is usually some of your better wheat?
2: Yeah, I think probably we did a history uh, study back when I was in retail one time with certain varieties in a varietal plot that it pretty much was like soybeans and corn. The earlier planted seven out of 10 years was always your highest yielding wheat. So I do believe in early stands, planting would be really good and getting every seed to emerge. I mean, you know, the whole key is stand establishment. And I don't think, That applies to any crop that we do. If we can get every seed to come up, we can maximize our potential then. And I'm a big fan of tillering. I think if we get good ground tillering, we get good ground coverage then, obviously then we can control. We control better, um, I think, our nutrient placement as we don't get less. You know, I got some rolls and hills, and so we can prevent some erosion control as well.
1: So let's say your bean harvest is delayed, wet conditions, later planted maturity what's your cutoff date and your geography for planting wheat and you know here I guess I tell people October 15th I know that there's people that plant later than that but I would say October 15th is a good benchmark if you want at least a fair chance at high yielding wheat in this geography so where's your cutoff?
2: Usually around the 25th of October in that area that's where we feel that after that maybe we don't get enough seeds to germinate and get big enough to survive where winter kill and just goes down significantly. So if you were to plant wheat that late, do you treat it differently than than your wheat that we planted October 1st? If it gets to be a wet, cool fall, sometimes then I have gone in with a uh, vertical till machine just to crack the dirt open to try to keep it warmer. Um, we have done that before. But normally... Th- we used to do that years ago. Um, we haven't done so much because since we've transitioned to double drilling, you kind of work that ground up quite a bit to keep that top inch warmed up and reflect. So I felt we've done pretty good with the double drilling that way. First, um, I do like certain vertical tillage machines for slicing and dicing the ground and, and sizing material and warming it up. And I think that will buy you maybe an extra week or two in the fall. And that might be all it takes just to get some germination. All right. The other things I've done with later germination or later planted wheat um, to help with germination is we have done some things with, um, you know, seed treatments. We have changed some in-season seed treatments to plant maybe some uh, growth hormones on there just to really help with imbibing water and get things going as the soil is starting to cool. Um, we've used our uh, tripedy products that um, we use on corn and soybeans, and we've done that with wheat a few over the years. But that's typically more or less if it's pushing the fall looks cool and wet. The window's shutting on a guy. This is maybe a, a small cost to kind of help you keep your s- seeding population or emergent population where you want it to be.
0: So let's say we get through winter. Everything's looking decent in the spring. When do you start uh, start planting your fertilizer or any of your other foliar treatments? or?
2: So I get, as soon as the, kind of the snow and the ice is kind of melting off, I get out there and start evaluating the wheat right away, you know, try to, Enough to where you can start digging in, looking at roots and and seeing what's alive, what looks good. Um, Basically, I look at the 50% rule. When I can go out in the field and I can look at three or four spots and I can see about 50% of the plants have started breaking dormancy. And usually that's right there where you got that frost starting to come out. It's cool in the mornings. It's warming up in the afternoons. That's when I usually make my first pass of fertility of nitrogen on the ground. Um, usually wheat's just kind of still tillering so you can get on some wheat control products at the same time now for me i use all liquid uan um we've done some stuff with urea in the past it just logistically uan just is a an easier way for us to do all the other things we're doing um versus using urea
0: you putting any sulfur with that when you're going
2: yeah so our first pass of uh program for nitrogen is our end goal is probably, we shoot for 1.1 to 1.2 pounds of N per bushel. It's kind of our ratio, what we do. So I try to put on at least about 50% of our nitrogen in that first pass. I do stabilize it. Um, we had some good results this year with stabilizing it with the Cypher product. So to kind of, you know, wheat's like corn. It likes its demand for nitrogen and sulfur's more closer to heading and grain fill. So, but we need enough to kind of get things started. So... I will put a, a low-rate cypher in there just to kind of help it with the spring rains, protect a little bit longer. Um, and at that time, I'll throw in a couple gallons of sulfur. Um, I used to use a lot of ATS. Um, sometimes I don't play nice with chemistry and, and other tank mix products, so we switched to our uh, TOR sulfur product, which is a product that we carry. That is a 10% uh, sulfur, 8% nitrogen with an amino acid package in it. So it really helps with the delivery system of sulfur to be more efficient. And I think that's that's what I look at out of my nutrition and fertility is what are ways I can be efficient that has the biggest effect on them. So instead of maybe just throwing an extra 100 pounds of this or that out there with my dry mix, maybe I can spoon feed it along, uh, match up those nutritional needs of the plant throughout the growing season and then really have a better effect. And I think your dollar goes better that way. So for me up front is we're putting... Down 50 pounds of our 50 percent of our nitrogen up front there. So I mean, we go out there and we're cranking out 75 pounds of N. Um, I put on two gallons of torus sulfur with that. I do believe in uh, our growth hormones, so I add our uh, triad at uh, eight ounces at a full high rate to really get tillering uh, ramped up, get things, get them shoots going on, because I think that's a good time when you can get that crop to advance out of dormancy faster. It's kind of like getting beans emerge and corn emerge all at the same day. It's the same way. Get it all at the break same time. At the same time then, if it's a year where it's been cool and damp or a lot of frost freezing going on, sometimes if we get some powdery mildew off of the trash or that residue, then we'll do a fungicide early. But our main things is nitrogen, sulfur, and then usually I'll add a micro pack of maybe like a – we have a micro EDA pack that's got some little bit of iron – Iron really helps with green up early. Some a little bit of boron, magnesium, uh copper, some of those little micro things just to help overall get things started.
0: We have some areas that are running the streamer bars. Are you running streamer bars or just running regular sprayer?
2: Right now we're just running regular sprayer. We've sprayed with some streamer bars and part of it's just logistics to getting the neighbor guy that has one to come do the wheat in the right time. Um so we've just gone to using uh with the post machine sprayers at uh at the proper timing when we do our second pass. Um I do believe uh you know this is a great time when you're breaking dormancy to do weed control. I mean I, I don't do anything special. Main thing for us is we don't have a lot of grass problems. It's just mainly broad leaves, Um dandelions because of no till and some ragweeds, maybe some lamb's quarter and, and of course the the evil water hemp still presence comes through. But we just use some clarity and uh two four D mixed together. Um, it's a great way of getting out there and getting it applied to the soil as some of them perennials are kind of maybe starting to break dormant so you can kill them right away as well as then you got some broadleaf control that binds the soil and gives you activity. Because then that way I can eliminate that stress early on. With planting thick like that, you get enough ground cover, then you don't have a lot of weed control at the same time. So some of my seed dollar costs I moved to weed control that way. And then it lined up better for as we get that first pass done, you know, you're talking feeks too. Maybe three at the latest, but and then we're coming back at like fec six there and putting on our second pass nitrogen. So the next 75 pounds of UAN. Um, at the same time, if it's hot where I live and get starting to get a little humid, we might throw an NBPT with it just to help with volatilization, uh, one of our factor products. But normally I don't have to. Um, I do add another source of sulfur at that time, usually I'd like a gallon of sulfur. And then I do add a bunch of water because we're we're broadcasting that, spraying it over the top. You know, that wheat's already a foot tall or better, um, just to reduce some of the leaf burn. And at the same time, I want it to get down to the ground, right? So that nitrogen can start going through the process and converting and get to where it's in usable form. So I we'll go out there and we'll add, you know, maybe 10 gallons of water to that mix just to help get it down, push through the canopy. Are you adding a
0: herbicide to that pass as well
2: or not? No, we're not. Pretty much we're getting all our herbicide control done early. One. I think uh, if a guy needed to, that would be a real optimum time because of the stage of the wheat. Um, I don't think you have any yield penalty. Sometimes I think we get a little late with some of these herbicides, and the yield penalty is pretty hard, just like it can be in corn. I mean, it's still a grass crop. So I think as you think about in that uh, jointing stage, things that are going on, you know ahead, head right you know head length and development that's happening during tillering and then now we're starting about seed counts getting formed going on I think you got to be cautious of the chemistry you're using but obviously a, a weed mat is not your friend consumes a lot of nutrients water away from the crop so I think that's a good timing for guys to add that in if they need a second application if they didn't do it up front or uh, we used to when I did a lot of urea we were split shot in our urea applications um if we didn't do an early pass with stimulating for sulfur and uh, hormones and fungicide early, this would be a good time you could throw another crop protection product in with those. I just try to streamline my tank mixes to where we maximize them the most. So at that plant, at that part at Feek 6, that's pretty much a true plant health pass. That is getting my last big shot of fertility on. Um, maybe addressing something. Usually I might take a tissue test. Prior to that, just to get an idea if there's a micro deficiency, um, you know, depending on if it's already been dry, if we've got plenty of water, that's a good way of doing it, a tissue test then. And that pretty well covers there. I mean, usually you're kind of wheat, the gas pedals is pushing down pretty hard then until we get to flag leaf. And then th- flag leaf is my next kind of big shot, right? Because that's when, you know, you can have influence on flowering, uh, kernel development, test weight. Usually then we're putting on a fungicide application, um, give us some residual. And there's lots of good ones out there for that. At um, the uh, same time, we're adding maybe a slow-release nitrogen. We carry a product called Sable just to add a little more nitrogen in to help with test weight. Um, I throw another sh- uh, quart of our Taurus sulfur on at the same time. And as well, as that's when I'm throwing on maybe like four ounces of a, we have a boron plus product because uh, we start getting into some of these... F- macronutrients and micronutrient tie-ins together, um, relationships that they have that sometimes knowing nitrogen and boron have a big effect with each other. So we'll add a little boron at the same time to really help with, you know, fruiting and, and, and seeding and flowering aspects of that.
0: So you mentioned a little bit, I don't think we can really talk about high management wheat without talking about the fungicide. So with with your higher plant populations, and especially if we're getting them in earlier, are you looking at having to do an earlier application? Of a for like a downy mildew or anything like that?
2: Yeah, I have in the past done stuff with that. Uh, that's our big one is probably uh, mildew early. Um, you know, very seldom do I have any rust early. got to worry about before flag leaf just because of the time of year. I mean, we're reaching flag leaf sometimes into May, first of June in northern Illinois. So, I mean, we're kind of early enough that some of them rusts ain't spores ain't developing, ain't moving around yet. So, Typically, we don't do one. I have done some split trials with fungicide in the past. Some years it's, it's like corn, you see big results, you see little results. But I think, in the, the day, if I just keep every plant from having a bad day from a plant health standpoint, then I keep our nutrition efficiency growing in the plant better and it's not having to put its time into being defensive. Um, I would recommend that if you had maybe the corn on corn acre or like situation like we do with corn where anthracnose and and corn rots and disease are more prevalent, I think wheat on corn is the same way. You you treat it like corn on corn. So maybe putting on a fungicide early to help prevent some uh, anthracnose and and some of them stalk diseases later on before flag leaf, that would be important.
1: And at the end of the day, they don't really cost a lot of money. No,
2: especially in wheat. I mean, It's kind of an insurance policy that
1: really you're not out a lot of – a lot of bushels to pay that back.
2: No, I, I think if you look at it as a whole, whether it be stabilizers, fungicides, even like some of these nutritional things that we do as part of the system, they really don't cost much for what bang for the buck they really give you because it might not be all the yield. Some products might help your nitrogen be more efficient. Some products might help fix a deficiency of a micronutrient Um some things might just help overall plant health to mature your crop a little faster. So I think as we look at our return on investment with some of these high management products, we've got to look at, step back and look at what's the whole system and how it's being affected because everything we do better up front will always translate to the next step. And that's the way I kind of view all the crops, corn, beans, and wheat, but especially in wheat, anything you can do up front, to trigger, the next step, the trigger, the next step. And the other mentality is, is if we don't, If we start that way, we have to continue that way. We can't just, there's never a silver bullet in agriculture on any one product or program. But if you can do, if you're going to ramp up higher seeds population, you're going to have to throw the extra nitrogen out there and extra sulfur to maintain the yield potential. As well as then, if I got more plants, the potential for disease is there. So a fungicide might be needed. But if we don't do those things up, we don't know until we get the flag leaf and heading to see what, kind of size heads we got and development potentials there so I'm a big fan of feeding the factory because if we feed the factory then it can be efficient I mean I'm I'm a big fan of efficiencies and that's just through biological process you know we got from seed germination cell and stem elongation photosynthesis respiration I mean those are all biological plant processes and if we can help them be efficient that means our resource dollars into nutrition and plant health, we can be more efficient and get a better return on that dollar that way. So in your
1: two nitrogen passes, are there times or situations where you flip-flop units to get, be more efficient with them based on your planting date or how the wheat just looks?
2: I do. Um, if we coming into, as I, as I learned this past year, um, with some of our really ground, drier soils from the drier conditions last uh fall um through the winter not a lot of snowfall that I probably shouldn't may put as much nitrogen as fun would carry more to a more in season to uh, just because the water wasn't available to help and water's key for nutrient movement there especially with nitrogen so I probably got a little more things that had you know tied up and uh, carbon and trash or just didn't mineralize as fast those are things that uh, I think you would look at that scenario as well as you know if I did have a lot of snowfall and things, Maybe I might, and water was present, maybe I'd add a little more nitrogen up front just if it was delayed on green up or till, especially if I got later, you know, long cold winter. It got to be April before maybe we're tillering instead of late March, 1st of April. Maybe it's late April, even May. I might try to get a little more nitrogen up front just to really get it ramped up because we know it's going to get warmer, especially in the month of May. Mm -hmm. Sure, I've played around a little bit of more nitrogen with my... um, phosphate, you know, some DAP or MES, maybe higher levels in the fall. Maybe tried a little AMS or urea just to maybe get green up, but I haven't felt that was as probably as cost effective as maybe adding or hormone to the seed treatment or maybe making a small tillage pass to warm the soil up a little bit faster as you're pushing your later planting dates. So if you
1: increase those levels in the fall, do you use that towards your total end
2: nitrogen goal? I usually don't. So okay. I do not treat my soybean credits to wheat, like we do as much as corn, I treat it as a crop rotation credit. I still believe in you'll go as this pounds of van, and I work off that number and then work backwards, whether it be forms and passes. Um, does that credit come into play? I use that credit as maybe my buffer if I was to short my crop. Yep. That is my buffer rotate. That's why I consider it a crop rotation um, you know, I do believe in practicing 4Rs in and, and multiple modes and passes and sources, but in the day, that's a organic form of N. It's been mineralized. It's, it's what's available, right? And, you know, the bugs goes to sleep in the soil throughout the winter, and how fast does that become available, and residue management, and that could be 30 days, 60 days. It could be the, the following year. So I tend to use my crop rotation credits um, more as the, the buffer. Because if they come available, that's great. I didn't utilize it because uh, it, that varies a lot, right? I mean, I don't know if we can have a hard handle save that's thirty pounds, forty pounds, sixty pounds. Especially if you're pulling off fifty to eighty pounds or fifty to eighty bushel soybeans the year before in variability soils, it's it's hard to be consistent. And I'd rather be consistent, make sure that this crop I provided every nitrogen opportunity for it, and the ro- that's a rotation. Uh, credit to me sure
1: my so. one comment on that I guess is we're in dairy country and one major challenge is manure going on a field prior to to planting wheat. I mean how do you contribute uh, it, it's just so variable how to credit those end N credits at the end of
2: the year and you're, you know. right. you're exactly right because even I've done some manure packing or the neighbor's pig farm we've you know he's got a lot of rain getting it's overflowing need a place to go and and you take analysis of it and you see well I got this much available in now but then here's how much is organic in and so you know what's actually available year one what's available year two and I I try to break it down to you know what is available now because pretty much I can use that in the short term um and that's part of the system I mean, you should because if you're paying for it whether it's coming through the cow or or commercial fertilizer it still has a cost mainly application through the cow, but it's still a cost. So I think you do take a credit for them. I just don't think it can be your whole end credit. Yep. I think uh, the dairies I work with, um, a lot of them, we just look at the number that's available now. And the other one is kind of put in the background for reserves if everything goes right. And I, but I, I think you have to allow for some credit. I just, we use a lot more water than we used to in these, uh, in dairies and, and and pigs and flushing barns and, so it just seems like we haul a lot more water than maybe the nutritional value as, as it used to right. be.
0: Switching gears a little bit back to that fungicide piece, we've talked about this before. Um, the headcap products that are available now, whether it's Bersaro, Mirvus Ace, Caramba, those, um, we've seen for an ROI that seems to be one of our quickest ways on, on the sweet crop. I've, I'm assuming you've been working with the same type of product.
2: Yeah, we've been using, uh, I mean, um, before Miravis Nero could come out and those products, I mean, we've been using uh, Prosaro for probably going on 10 years now um, as a flowering. So, you know, after flag leaf, really the only application that we're doing is just straight Prosaro with a a ground rig or or, uh, air depending on what's available. Um, I'm a big fan. Once you create tram lines in a field, you just, you got the tram lines, whether it's beans or, or weed or corn, you just, you got your passes and you go. But we do do prosaro I mean, by label and, and timing of, of a, what I would say a more than suppression from a control, you can get really good control of prosaro if it's put on during flowering at that 10.5. and. But it's a timing, it's a short window, you know, 36, maybe 48-hour window. So everything, hopefully it's not raining that day, the wind's not blowing, you can get across the acre. But that is a very good product. I think now with Miravis Nero, that buys us a lot wider window in time, so you can apply that at flag leaf or even a little bit pushing on the back side or the, or the front side. Um, depending on, I try to start my flag leaf spray when I see at least 60 to 80% flag leaves out, then knowing I got a day or two before they're all emerged. I think that's a, a good rule to where starting early on wheat is always your friend because it's like spraying alfalfa. It could look good this day, the next day, the blossoms come out, you know. It's pretty quick. It does turn fast, but. That's the nice thing about some of these fungicides. We've gotten wider windows in them because of the compounds and the chemistries that they're doing with them. So you're not all just putting your guns into just one application and timing. But I do believe in layering. I mean, like that, if I need to do something early for powdery mildew or help a anthracnose issue that could come up, putting it in early with the fungicide crop protection pass. And I think you kind of take some of these management styles we're talking about. A lot of them come from the corn idea. I mean, of doing something early on seed protection coming out early on, and then obviously some V5, six stages, and then coming into R1. I think we can take a lot of those concepts and apply them to wheat because we're really dealing with a grass crop.
1: Out of all the fungicide applications you do, which one can you not live without? You know,
2: flag leaf to me is number one. You it as, is as automatically have to do every year because you can affect flowering a little bit now with some of these products. Uh, if you, you said, depending on prosaro time with Miravis Nero and products like that, you have a wider window. You can, but I think flag leaf has such an importance on overall yield because of how it can affect kernel size, which then turns into test weight. And also, I think you can stimulate that late nitrogen application maybe the trigger in the plant especially if it went through a dry period prior to that or if it's been really wet I think that really helps keep that head to finish out so you know nitrogen sulfur relationships the finishing out the crop for test weight I mean my years of doing this if you want to increase a pound pound and a half to maybe two pounds of test weight having that flag leaf protected is a huge thing and I think we see that in corn as well but that is probably the ultimate one I make sure I get on right
1: where I, I think we're just logistically and trying to get across all these acres when we're trying to spray corn and beans, that that's a very challenging time for us. So we're more in the head emergence, full full flowering. And I think Plymouth might be a little bit different. Our Plymouth location may spray more at flag leaf instead of head emergence, but uh just when when you can get across the field. It
2: it really is. A nice thing whether it be I mean, we used to use a lot of quilt in the day and Triva Pro, um I think some of them you can get into a little bit later flag leaf and, and early heading, um, and that's the nice thing about flag leaf. It is a wider window than a full flowering type thing. My problem with flowering sometimes you gotta be careful. I have seen guys where they've thrown in some too much other things at flowering, and you've affected some of the way the pollination has occurred. Um, maybe the top of your tips don't fill out as well, and which is no different what we see in corn. If we if we timing is everything with a lot of these products, so. Um, I think as long as you caught that window around flag leaf of kind of maximizing plant health with a fungicide or a last-minute nitrogen sulfur piece or if a, a micronutrient. I mean, I, I didn't mention this, but we do tissue test about, about feeks 8, 8 eight and a half just to kind of see, make sure we're not deficient with a micronutrient because that would be a good time at flag leaf to add in. Like I mentioned, boron usually is one with trichorin. Or if you got some tighter clay soils and things, maybe there's you know a, a copper piece or magnesium piece that might need to filter in on that.
0: Yeah, overall, what I mean, after we, we we went all went through today, it's uh, I mean a lot of times we don't think of wheat as a high management crop. It's mostly just a rotation, but there definitely is a lot of things that we can do to push yield to manipulate yield. And uh, I think with where prices are at today, I mean, it's something we should probably be looking at a little bit more of.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, grain is always the first priority with, I think, any crop, you know, is, is your greatest gross revenue generator, but we can keep our yields up. But the second part where we're generating, um, you know, we, we remove off a, a couple tons of straw material and you start adding two to $300 more an acre gross in straw sales, that's a that's a big number. I mean, at the end of the day, it, I, mean, I mean, I ain't lie. I sold a lot of wheat last year at, Probably averaged 1095, 1096 last year a bushel. And on 118 bushels, that's a big gross. Now, grant we do have extra costs with some of this, but it's, you know, when you're spending twenty, forty extra dollars an acre, it's not a lot of money compared to what these grosses are. And then you throw the straw on top of it. Uh, you, you wonder why we can pencil out. And it's the ground I have is really, you know, I don't have a lot of wet feet. Um, but, yet it's not pure sand either. So there's potential in that ground to do that. And it's just finding the right variety and managing it. Um, we have some farms that we put weed on, but maybe they don't get super extensive. We dial it back because maybe its potential is only hundred bushel, because of some limiting factors of holding capacity of the soil for water.
0: After that straw comes off, what do you? Um, what's your plan then for replacing nutrients?
2: So when we take straw off, then as that ground either then goes back into it's close enough to the cow yard. Gets a cover crop in it, some turnips, some rye, some oats, some different mixes, so we could graze cows in the wintertime. But the majority of the farms where they're not being able to fence or we can graze on it, um, the majority of that we uh, do a good roundup burn down in the fall, um, usually late August, try to get that first flush of wheat killed out, um, get in, keep water hemp and rag wheat right. from seeding out. Um, and then generally, when I make that pass, I'm adding in. A product that we sell called Robust, which is a stock degradation soil health. uh, It's it's an enzyme activator for decomposers, so it can help rot down those root balls. I mean, we're still leaving six inches of stubble on top of the ground after taking the straw off. So there's still a lot of nutrients sitting in that above ground, those big straws left, as well as the crown mass. Because we've double seeded so much, we have a pretty good mat across there. And because then we're next year we're going to no-till. So I've been using some of these t- decomposing products to help break down the trash residue better. And I have found that then when we go to no-till corn the next year into it, it's really tilthy and the planter just really does not have to work. I've seen um, with our downforce systems and precision planning equipment we have on the planter now, you see how well your seed placement can be. Yeah, And that, that that's where I think the justification comes into then as well as breaking that down, I don't see a penalty of yellow corn or an early tissue testing. We don't see that delay in that nutrient recovery coming back as fast like you would maybe like you would do on corn on corn or just go through that little menopause phase of just it's slow, nothing's just grasping to it. And I think we've done that a lot better with getting them degrading early. and Then maybe I might do another fall roundup if, if basically behind the combine where the straw when rows were you might have to kill that at one time because my goal is to try to kill as much volunteer seed in the fall so then that way in the spring we don't have much green up Um, and normally if I do a a second fall or pass more towards late September October then I might actually throw a a chemistry program with that more than just a burn down product we might throw a you know, we've done some autumn in the fall, things like that, that were, you know, a Valor product. And just to kind of eliminate those perennial weeds on certain farms to get ahead of it. Because I, I think it's just another crop protection management tool of different chemistry, a different time, and it has a different effect. And then that we can go in spring, and then usually I'll do a spring burn down, get our Acuron put on early um, up front. And then that way when the guy comes in there and no tills planted, it's everything is just, it's clean, it's dry, And it makes a nice seed bed.
0: Are you keeping an eye on your K-levels and if you have to come in with some extra
2: Yeah, so normally then in the spring, um, it's usually in the spring for some reason, we've done more of our fertility uh, spreading. Um, I just found that in the fall on the wheat stubble, maybe it doesn't convert as fast because of the cover and stuff on some of our fields. So what we do in the spring is I've come in the spring, do our DAP potash, Maybe add a little AMS at that time on those acres up front to kind of get our nutrition covered. And then we do a lot with our, um, we do a lot of starter work. I mean, I'm a big fan of row starter in-furrow as well as two-by-two. Our planter can do both. So we can kind of feed the crop a little different way before then we come back and do our um, top dress and wide drop plans in the crop. So, But there again, high management wheat. Then turned into high management corn because we had different challenges, and then if we wanted to push the yields, we had to change the way we do things. And a lot of times we are fall. We still use a lot of ammonia in our neck of the woods, so a lot of times that's a great way for us to get fall ammonia on and kind of crack the ground open. Um, You know, I believe weed is kind of like a pop can in the spring. You know, you gotta crack it open, let the fizz out, right? And I think sometimes having the fall ammonia or or make a spring pass through it just kind of cracks it open allows some heat and water exchange starts getting your microbial life activated a little sooner and so sometimes we do depend on ammonia and things like that we'll do maybe a fall ammonia pass for sure if we can get it on um but normally a spring early application like that that's kind of our only tillage would be putting ammonia on otherwise it's urea uan up front with the acuron come back top dress then again you know, some things we're thinking about for next year and have been playing with this uh, microbials. I mean, that's getting big in the in the overall ag sector of uh, throwing things in to help with, you know, simulating nitrogen or mineralization aids and breakdown. And um, I'm going to play around with our foster products some more. We did do some of it in uh, small trials this year on wheat, and we saw some good effects um, that led to about 3-4 bushel. So I want to keep replicating that a little bit so before we make that a comfortable Um, I did play with some other biologicals and fixers this year. And some things I think have some promise, I think, in supporting uh, a nitrogen program. But I I think it's just where they fit into that piece of the puzzle, right? I don't know if they're ready to replace nitrogen, but I think it's a good tool to, here's my nitrogen program. I can throw these in to be more efficient. And then if that's the case, I could have a bigger effective uh, result on my end then. so. Some studies we've seen in corn, I've taken that and applied it to wheat a little bit. So that's kind of stuff we're playing with, I think, for going forward. Maybe keep playing with the some micronutrients in relation to our nitrogen applications. Um kind of my travels as I cover from northern Illinois to northern Wisconsin. I've even picked up some little notes first watching guys in <clears throat> excuse me, in Europe or Kentucky, you know, learning from the the masters of wheat. You just learn that these guys spoon feed early and often. And I think that's how you maximize the yield potential.
1: Yeah. That's what it seems with, with, with wheat. It, it just, it's multiple passes. It's the right amount of nutrients at the right time. And you can really manipulate that crop, which makes it fun to grow.
2: <clears throat> it does. That That's what really got wound up is when you can see as you're stimulating that crop and you see change, it's like, wow, okay, I've set this up to be a little better factory. And I, and I, like I said, I, I learned my wheat concepts really from watching what we started in the corn market in the early 2000s when we went from regular corn and BT corn to rootworm corn, right, and traits, and then all of a sudden we were doing more fungicide for plant health because it wasn't just about disease control. It was also about nitrogen management and, and, and overall crop quality. So I think there's things we can do in all these crops to really maximize more potential and— the return on investments there, I think a lot of these products that, whether it be Rosen's from other companies, they all have a really good return on investment. I think the biggest key is some products have better positions in this scenario versus this scenario. And I think it's having the right product that maybe covers the widest window for your marketplace, and especially as it would go from along the lake or out west toward in there. I mean, the ground changes, the growing <laughs> units change. Yep. So how do you maximize those environments? And I think they're all good. It's it's risk management tools. That's the way I look at it. But, you know, we're uncovering the whole biological life sciences of blow the ground, and we we like to see visual things, but if we know we can reduce compaction and and bring out more nutrients with some of these microbials, I think that's a way of just elevating the next step of our efficiencies and to support a better sustainable program, right? Because my thoughts are if I can make something repeatable for a year or two, then usually that's a sustainable practice and that's something that's just automatically in the program every year. No if, ands, or buts. Right. And now's a great time. I mean, I get done with right before harvest, or at harvest, we're kind of reevaluating stuff before we you know we plant the wheat this year. But I mean, pretty much a lot of my decisions have all been made as we were after making them applications. Like, yeah, we're seeing the results or this translates into this. So uh, that's also helped I think as we've done our corn and beans that way because the way we manage them then affects the next crop and I, I that's why I, I be careful with my soybeans and trying to keep a little early I might give up maybe a little bushel potential but I really think the new soybean varieties they have some really good yield potential and they respond to high management with fungicide programs with nutritional programs that we can get a lot out of an earlier season variety instead of having to plant full season variety because of the especially where i live with the length of sunlight being longer
1: yep so we want to thank scott for coming out and joining lucas and i today on the modern agronomist and we went through some of the practices scott uses on his wheat management and um thanks for sharing scott
2: no it was a pleasure to be here and uh enjoy working with you guys here at country visions and keep moving the needle forward
1: that's right